0: I love my dog. I've loved every dog I've ever owned, even the one that went sideways on me. And you know what? That didn't have to happen. I adopted him from what was presented as a legit rescue. It wasn't, and shame on me for not digging deeper before moving forward with the adoption. If you're a dog lover like me and are looking to adopt or foster from a fully vetted placement organization with actual vets on the team, no pun intended, and you live in the Pacific Northwest, you need to know about Must Love Dogs Northwest. Must Love Dogs is a 501c3 nonprofit, all volunteer organization dedicated to ending pet homelessness. They work to rehome dogs that are abused, neglected, and homeless or about to be homeless and those in shelter settings. Must Love Dogs offers spay neuter services, microchip assistance, training in lieu of surrender, and provides compassion grants for those in need. Must Love Dogs is run by volunteers who dedicate their time and love to their four-legged friends. So, if it's time to bring a new dog into your heart and home as a full-time family member or foster a homeless pup, whether it's the first time you're doing it or you're growing your pack, or if you want to donate or support a fundraising event or volunteer, give Must Love Dogs a call at 844 844- Three six four seven six nine zero. Again, that's 844 or visit them online at mustlovedogsnw.org. Again, that website, mustlovedogsnw.org. Hi, Drew Zagorski here, and I got two words for you, direct mail. To a business owner, those are two of the scariest words in the universe because they only bring to mind big dollar signs and little return on investment. Well, there's a better way to reach and stay in front of engage your customers, prospects, and cohorts. Now, here's two more words, constant contact. Yep, I've used them for years for my businesses, and the bottom line is this, it works. In fact, if you go to youdontsay.net, you can sign up for my email and you'll never miss another episode of You Don't Say. For pennies per contact as compared to direct mail, I can reach and connect with up to 500 contacts. Yep, 500 contacts for as little as 20 bucks a month. Constant Contact provides powerful email tools that include a library of awesome design templates, list management and reporting, event management, polls, and more, as well as a website builder with e-commerce capabilities. So, if you're looking for a way to stay in front of your audience, Constant Contact is everything you need. And here, I'll make it easy for you to find them. Simply go to bit.ly forward slash YDS stories. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash yds stories to start your free trial account today. This is Drew Zagorski. You're listening to You Don't Say. Thanks for that. And don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or at youdon'tsay.net and share with family, friends, and everyone else you know. So, here's the story. 66 million years ago, there was a big-ass rock. It was hurtling through space on a collision course with the Earth. And, yeah, okay, it was a little bigger than big, and to be technical, it was an asteroid. This thing hit the Earth with such force that it created a crater about 90 miles wide and 12—yeah, 12 miles deep— that impact and its aftermath killed off about 75% of plant and animal life on the planet, most notably the dinosaurs. Before and since, there have been other events like volcanoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, climate events, and more that have been, in a word, stressful to life on Earth. We've all learned the story of the asteroid and the extinction event, but unless we're studying science at an advanced academic level, You know what? We probably don't think about anything but animalia, dinos, lizards, other critters who are wiped out or survived. We often don't think about other inhabitants of the planet at that moment. The plants, for instance. Yet, like many species of animals, they survived and even thrived amidst all that chaos. And they do the same every time there's some type of natural disaster or climate event. Plants are living organisms like you and I. Okay, maybe that's a stretch, but like we humans, plants are born, so to speak, grow, breathe. They even sweat and eventually die. In between, they grow roots like humans. They migrate, sometimes over thousands of miles, in bodies of water as large as oceans, just like humans. They network like humans. They support one another like humans, and they, well, uh, just listen to this for a few seconds. That's right. Plants talk and sing just like humans. That's what you just listened to. And okay, maybe it's not exactly like humans, but plants do it in their own way. Our world today is in a lot of turmoil from climate change to political divisions, not just here in the United States, but all over the world, to increasing violence, to the breakdown of real, genuine human connections, not just due to the current pandemic, but because of technology. Read Unsocial Media and Networks, but that's another conversation. And... Also, in the migratory way in which we live, where sometimes we don't want to make connections in the towns or neighborhoods we live in because, well, we might have to move for whatever reason. And you know what? If we tune into plants and what they're telling us, there's a lot we can learn from them on how to handle stress, connectedness, and moving forward as we face all of this stuff that's coming at us. Joining me today from just outside Turin, Italy, is one incredibly interesting lady. Tegria Gardinia has been fascinated by nature since her earliest childhood memories. She's earned a degree in music and electrical engineering and worked in the corporate world for real networks and Microsoft in the early days of the internet. But for Tegria, the corporate life felt like shackles. After all, her roots have always been firmly planted in the arts, communication, and the avant-garde. So, of course, what's a person like that to do? joined the circus, right? She did. Actually, she co-owned it. She's also produced intentional dance events, taught Kabbalah, and even toured with Cirque du Soleil. After that, she studied with some of the greatest minds in bio-inspired sciences, gaining a master's degree in Futuro Vegetale, or in English, Vegetal Future. That's plants, social innovation, and studied design under Stefano Mancuso at the University of Florence. She's also studied biomimicry for social innovation and product development. And today, she's a Domenher citizen in Italy and works as a nature-inspired leadership mentor and studies plant intelligence and the effects of plant music on human health. Tegria uses her expertise to empower mission-driven leaders to integrate nature-inspired innovation in order to bring meaning to life and make an impact with work. She's an influential speaker and mentor, runs courses and workshops on reconnection with the plant kingdom, and is a world ambassador for plant intelligence and champions connection to nature as the basis for long-term health, happiness, and success. If you want to learn more about her, which I hope you do, you can visit her website at Tigriagardena.com. spelled out, that's T-I-G-R-I-L-L-A-G-A-R-D-E-N-I-A.com, Tigria gardenia.com. So, joining me today is Tigria Gardenia. So, thanks for joining me, Tig. It's okay, right? If I call you Tig? And full full disclosure to anybody who's listening, um, we had a technical issue the first time we did this interview because we went through an hour of it and I didn't press the record button. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> take Thank you so much for humoring me and coming back for a take two on this. Um,
1: I'm sure it's going to be better than ever.
0: Yeah, there we go. We learned. I learned, so I didn't fail. So let's go back to your origin story, right? You grew up in Florida in a a pretty American childhood and youth and then, you know, went to college and landed in Seattle into a traditional career. Why don't you take us through that?
1: Yeah. So um as you said, I'm uh, originally from the U.S. I'm from South Florida. And I, uh, let's see, where do, where do I even start? There's so much. So my, my degree is actually in music engineering and electrical engineering. So okay. I grew up in a, a time and in a place where music was a big part of the industry and yet i wasn't like your traditional musician so after a stint studying what, some other stuff
0: what, what do you mean by a tradi- not your traditional musician
1: well because when we think of musicians we tend to think of the performer we tend to think of the artist that's like the guitarist the the person the, right. the singer the drummer. And this is what I consider to be the tradition, the performance arts, which is great, but you cannot have a great musician without everything else that goes into it. The fantastic engineer, the backstage manager, the person that is, you know, running the control booth during the recording, mm-hmm. or, you know, there's all these other stuff that we forget about. So as, as when you're younger and you're thinking about what to study, you're almost not even told that all these other types of positions exist. Right. So I actually went away um, for college originally, and I was going to study toward law. I was doing sociology and psychology and philosophy, and I realized that was miserable. And when I went back and I looked at my life, there was two things that were pretty constant. Mm-hmm. One was math. I loved math. I loved all the kind of aspects around math. And I really loved music. Music was like my best friends were musicians. I was always going to concerts. I was immersed in the music scene. It was big. And that's when I discovered the idea of music engineering and electrical engineering. It brought together these two loves and it allowed me to express my musicianship through my engineering through my ability to work with other musicians to design software and hardware for musicians and to also use my listening skills, which was the big thing. I have, you know, pretty um, acute hearing and I was able to use that in order to enter into the world of internet audio.
0: So then you land in Seattle to work Mm -hmm. for Microsoft Real Networks, which was first?
1: Real Networks. So this was at the time when You have to imagine this is like the 1990s. Um, the internet is just something people are starting to play with. I mean, when I did my uh, last year in college, I was still doing Gopher and Veronica and using the internet with it the, without the World Wide Web, which is all the graphics that we see today. Right. And, um, and I was uh, bumped into a friend at a conference. I was at the Audio Engineering Society convention, and she had graduated the year before I had. Um, she had done kind of her master's degree in what I did my undergrad, and we were talking, and she's like, oh my God, I would really love somebody to take over my role, which was at the time, working in uh, the in the more quality assurance side of it, and so that I can move into another role. And she's like, would you like it? And I was like, hell yeah. She's like, I just warn you, if I put your name in the hat, you're probably going to get the job because I know these people. And at the time, believe it or not, I was in the middle of a running for a position with the FBI doing hmm. audio video forensics. So that process takes about six months because they have to do a full background check. And I was in the middle of the background check and the two offers. So they flew me out to Seattle and I did the interview at Real Networks. And when I came back to South Florida, I received the offer from uh, Real Networks. And then at the same time, like two days later, I think it was, I got a message. I got a phone call from the FBI saying, your start date is blah. And I was like, um, I kind of have another job offer. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, you have one week to let us know, because if not, we have to fill it with somebody else. And I chose to go down the route of um, the uh, of of the Internet audio because it was the Internet. It was like nobody knew. It was a huge risk. New frontier. Yeah, it was a new frontier as opposed to the job with the FBI would have been very exciting because you were doing forensics of like, does this bullet come from this gun or does, you know, did this voice? match this person and what does the black box from this crash tell us but um but the other part seemed so exciting because we had no idea and all we were listening to on online at that time was just like a very low quality audio you know
0: right right right
1: So, lot, so I flew lot, off. A the lot family. of bright
0: red and bright green and websites back then, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So that was it. I, I was hooked. I went over there and I um and I, I arrived right as we were getting ready to launch video. So the video that mm-hmm. we watched today so easily back when I got was we were the forefront. We were like the first company that was launching the idea of streaming video right. at a, at the masses. And back in the day before there was time. a YouTube. There was exactly. We were the predecessors to YouTube. Yeah. So yeah. this was, this was like 1997. You
0: right. Know? So you're going along in your career, right. And then you landed with Microsoft after yep. real networks, right. Yep. Doing your thing. But you know, like, like me working in a big corporation I just, I don't have the DNA for that or the patience, right? <laughs> yep. Maybe maybe it's just maybe it's just trouble with authority. Um and so I figured I had to go out on my own, you know. And as I I thought about that, and it took me a long time, honestly, to go do it. I tried it a little bit when I was younger, but um, you know, I talked to people about it. They said, What are you what are you gonna do? Go join the circus, right? And you did. <laughs> yep. You you owned it, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So basically what happened was I was at like, like you said, I went to Microsoft. So when I, I left Real Networks, I kind of worked in a startup for a little while. And in the period that I was in the startup, um, I said, oh, great. I'm in this smaller startup. I have some time. I'm going to like pursue. I'm going to go back into the arts, like as a little bit more of a performer, which was, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was a singer as, as part of my degree. And so I kind of picked that up and I decided to start acting as a side hobby. And this led me to, by the time I stepped into Microsoft, which I kind of had a on compete so I couldn't go into the audio fields. I couldn't go into the creative part that I had known for so right. many years and that I loved. Probably where so your passion I needed an artistic was, right? expression. Yeah, yeah, and I needed that artistic expression. And so I started to act and, you know, I did musical theater and I did some films and I was doing this world. And at one point, I get, I, um, I got actually cast in something I had no understanding of at the time. You have to remember, you know, I come out of the music scene, I go into software, you sort of step into a different world, and you believe, like you said, that you're that's what you're supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to get the good job, I'm supposed to have the house, I'm supposed to Mm -hmm. get married, I'm supposed to do all of these types of things, and yet it feels constraining because. Life isn't so linear. And that's why I started to explore the acting and the creativity and I met some amazing people. And so what happens is I end up getting cast in a performance, which was called a prayer performance, in the middle of a dance party. AKA a rave, okay. which I knew nothing about at the time. Okay. <laughs> I was super naive in that aspect. And, um, and I start to meet all these incredible people that are living a super creative life. Like you said, we went into this corporate environment. And while it was good, I mean, people treated you well in some ways. It's, it's constrained to somebody else's vision unless you reach super high levels. Right. So here we were carrying out somebody else's vision. And Microsoft is a wonderful company. But again, it has a structure. And so I met an artist there who um, we became super good friends and I kept just giving him advice because I had been in the uh, creative management side back when I was in college. I had done a, a, what's it called? An internship where I had been a manager for a band Mm -hmm. and uh, I started giving him advice and he was like, you know, why don't you just become my manager? I was like, I could do that not, it'll be, a nice, again, a nice side gig. That was my idea. Right. <laughs> Except for it started to grow and we started to produce events. And eventually I, I came into my boss's office and I looked at him and I'm like, I'm out. I said, I have the opportunity now to take everything I've learned in these 10 years in software development and in cutting edge technologies and in all the stuff you guys have taught me so well, and I can apply it to my own business in my own way. And I started to produce these events, and eventually one of the events was with a circus. I hired a circus. And again, similar thing. The, one of the co-owners, who was like the main ringmaster, mm-hmm. and I became very good partners like from a business perspective. And one day he was like, why don't you come in and become a partner in a circus with us? Um, you can still do your other company and have these two adventures. So, so this was, was
0: still based in Seattle, yes?
1: This is still based in Seattle. So okay. I spent... A few years, like producing these events, big events, um, like, you know, a few thousand people, parties, um, with a, always with a sort of spiritual transformational process. Because to me, what was most important was how do we use the creative arts, whether that be through Internet audio and video, whether that be through a party, whether that be through the circus, to help you transform, to help mm-hmm. you become a better part of yourself, to show who you truly are, what, what I call your true nature, and let it come out. And the circus was a great opportunity because I was able to do all the marketing and, um, you know, help with the production and help with the design. And every once in a while I would jump on stage to do, you know, some hula hooping or fire performance Mm -hmm. or those types of things. And then, um, I met a, a person there who became my, my partner, my like, uh, life partner at that time. And he, was a rigger and was doing a whole series of other things. And he looked at me one day and he's like, I really want to go on tour with Cirque du Soleil. And in typical tourist fashion of who I am, it was like, okay, so let's create a plan for how to make that happen. Right. (laughs) Right. that's That's what we did. I, you know, we, we started to, to downsize our own living. We got rid of stuff we didn't need and we started to put out feelers and I hired him for a whole series of events with the circus, as well as with my own production company, and built up his resume that way. And sure enough, within a few months, he had a job offer, and off we were. by um, By the following year, the beginning of the following year, we were off on tour, and we spent uh, a year on tour. I spent a year on tour in Europe with circus. So they
0: they have they. They And it's unfortunate what's happened to them because of the pandemic. And I think they're in bankruptcy now, if Mm -hmm. not, they have pulled the plug. But they have a lot of different shows that go Mm -hmm. on throughout the world, or they did. Um, Right. I'm a big fan, but what show were you in?
1: We were on uh, the tour of Varakai. So at first I came on, um, so the way Cirque kind of works is that uh, if you're an artist, basically you can you can have somebody that that travels with you. So I at first was just a traveling partner. I was producing my events back in Seattle, so I would fly back to the United States while we were on tour. And then at one point, the backstage manager for that tour was leaving, and so I went through the interview process and hired got hired on to do the backstage management. So we were both working on the on the tour.
0: Okay, and is this is an bi- this is like what what night in late nineties, early two thousands,
1: or at least this was, no, this was already 10 years later. So this is 2008. Gotcha. Okay. 2007, 2008.
0: So now you're, you're floating around Europe in Cirque du Soleil living the dream.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Quite an experience.
0: And then you, I don't, I don't know if you had the same kind of feeling about where, where you were at, you know, sometimes you get into something, you do it for a while, and you're like, "Okay, been there, done that, um, loved it," but it's time for something else, right? Then you hear about this community in Italy that leads you to your next chapter, right?
1: Yeah, there was um, basically what happened, exactly like you said. I was on tour for about uh, for about a year, and actually for a little bit over a year, and um, my relationship's kind of coming to an end, and I'm sitting here going, "Is this..." is this what I want to be doing? And i I, at the time I was already, I had been in a spiritual studies. Like I had been studying in the meantime also uh, besides my creative parts, I have a really strong spiritual side. So I was starting to teach Kabbalah and sacred geometry. And so by the time I came off tour, I had a choice. I could go back to the United States and rebuild there, or I could stay in Europe and create something completely new. And mm-hmm. that's what I decided to do. I decided to stay. I ended up um, creating a base in Barcelona. And I spent several years there building up my, my more spiritual side. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had the the artistic side on one end and the spiritual side on the other. And a friend of mine came to visit and, I, and she was like, hey, have you heard of this community in Northern Italy? And I had heard of it because I had had one of my clients that was a part that, like was connected to it and some other events that had happened. So we decided to just book a kind of girls trip weekend to this community, which is at the time, all I knew was there was, it was a community in Northern Italy, and they had some really cool temples. That was like the maximum information I had. So we met up in Milan and rented a car, which was Kind of crazy because there was no Google Maps at the time. There was like printed out map quests and you have to take all these little roads to get there. And I stepped into what is considered the eighth wonder of the world, which is the underground temples of humankind at Damanhur, which is one of the largest spiritual eco communities in the world. And while I was here, I started, I met a few people and one of the people in particular, I was telling her my experience. I'm like, yeah, I worked in software. I was a project manager and I have all these experience producing events. And then I have the spiritual side and I teach. And She's just looking at me going, oh my God, we need you here. And I was like, no, there is no way I'm coming to live in a community. Can you imagine myself yeah. with my strong attitude? I'd kill somebody. Right. But, um, synchronicity has a way of moving things when you live in a community like Dominher. And, and sure enough, as soon as I got back to Barcelona, my world was changing. My roommate was leaving the country, so I needed to find a new place to live. And, uh, Dominher did something unprecedented and offered me an opportunity to come here for six months. And so I was like, all right, screw it. I packed up all my stuff, rented a car and drove to Italy and decided to, I was gonna just going to be here six months. Right. I was going to build up their online strategy. So I was able to step back into my software development role and um, basically build up their entire online presence, like everything that you see on Facebook and their blog and all of the strategy for online world. And yeah, that was nine years ago and I'm still
0: here. Okay. So, so then, then is that where you kind of tapped into the whole idea of bio-inspired sciences? And, and then you hear about the program at the uh, University of Florence and, and what, how did that transition happen?
1: Yeah, so here here's the funny thing about how um, and this is why when I when I'm working with clients one-on-one I try I I, I make it a very big point to under, to explain that and you've said it nicely when you said, you know, I don't fail as long as I learn. The same thing is, you don't give up if you use your skill sets in new ways. On the contrary, it's an evolution. Right. And so our skills have a tendency, we have a tendency to think that if I'm in a different profession, I've sort of given up another profession. But the truth is, it's all about what your skill set is and the way that your um, characteristics unfold. And you could have a whole series of different, what looks like from the outside, different jobs, but you could be following one evolutionary path because you're using the same skills and you're growing them and making them better. So I had been in software development. I had produced events. I had... You know So, I was in the music and the arts and the spirituality and all of these, but I was always really a program manager and a leader and somebody who ran groups and, and all these different aspects and So here I am back in my software kind of role and, um, and my spiritual role, so these two worlds are converging in one, right. which is amazing and then all of a sudden, I'm, I start to hear this I was in one of our I was in our capital, and I was walking around, and I hear this beautiful music. Very strange, unusual music that I had never heard before. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? What is this? So I follow the music to the source. And the source is like a box with a speaker. I was like, all right, obviously the box is not the musician. So who's the musician? So I follow the cable. And the musician was a plant.
0: We'll be right back with our conversation right after this. Isn't it time somebody finally heard you? I mean, really. You know, podcasting is one of the most powerful mediums out there for delivering a message, whether it's telling stories, having fun, or maybe especially promoting your business. But hey, you're not a sound engineer, so how do you get it going? Buzzsprout is the fastest, simplest way to get your podcast up and running. And it won't cost a fortune or have you getting down in the weeds dealing with technical issues. Buzzsprout has everything you need, including a great library of tutorials and resources, recommendations for gear, and a set of tools to help you get listed on every major podcast platform. You don't have to be a broadcast or sound engineering ninja to get up and running in just a couple hours. So, just do it. Let the world hear what you have to say. Buzzsprout is the easy way, and here's the easy path to their door. Go to bit.ly forward slash start casting. Again, that's B as in boy, it.ly forward slash start casting, and sign up. When you use this link, you'll also get a $20 Amazon gift card. How nice is that? And If you need help with branding, graphics, or editing, Left Brain, Right Brain Marketing has your back. They can help you with that piece, and you can find them at lbrbm.com. Anyway, don't just think about podcasting. Go to bit.ly forward slash start casting today and get your voice out there. Drew Zagorski here. Looking for a home loan? There's only one name you need to know. Teresa Springer of Movement Mortgage. Teresa brings decades of experience in lending, so she and her dedicated team will get you the right loan for your specific needs and probably save you a bundle of time and money in the process. How do I know? She's been my mortgage maven for years. So, no matter where you live, if you're looking for a home loan, call Teresa Springer and the mavens at Movement Mortgage at 360 798 4161. Or get the ball rolling by going to teresaspringer.com forward slash you don't say and clicking on the yellow get started button. Again, that number is 360-798-4161. And the website is teresaspringer.com forward slash you don't say. Phonetically, that's there's a Springer.com forward slash you don't say. Teresa Springer, NMLS 70667. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID 39179. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Movement Mortgage LLC is licensed by California Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, number 4131054, Oregon, ML 5081, Washington, CL-39179. Interest rates and products are subject to change without notice and may or may not be available at the time of the loan commitment or lock-in. Borrowers must qualify for all benefits. Movement Mortgage is a registered trademark of the Movement Mortgage LLC, a Delaware limited liability company. Whew. Right. This
1: box was connected. This device was connected to a plant and the plant was making music
0: and make your bl- and, mind explode. Huh?
1: Exactly. And I sat there and I just listened. And you know, when you, I, I don't know if you've ever learned a foreign language. Like I speak multiple foreign languages and there's a point in, in a language where all of a sudden you've, you're looking at somebody and you're listening to them and the words become comprehensible. And the music was like that. It was like, right. I could, comprehend and I could start to understand what the plant was expressing in that
0: Okay so so along those lines to help us comprehend and take a little sidebar here the yep. intro comments I played a sound clip from a song called Sonic Bliss by the Virtual Species Ensemble right right so I think I played maybe 15 seconds of it 20 seconds of it tell us what we were hearing in that song and and so, what Yeah. How do we separate that all out?
1: Right. So what we were listening to in that song are seven musicians playing together. And of those musicians, three of them are humans. So the normal things we hear, keyboards, voice and guitar. And four of them instead were plant musicians. So there is a device called the music of the plants that was developed in early early in the late 1970s is when they started to develop it here in domlin the community where i live and this device allows plants to make music by using their electrical signals so it okay. connects to the leaves and the roots and then this allows the plants to um, use that that difference in their electrical impulses in order to make notes of music and create melodies and harmonies What we, what has been discovered here over the years is that the more a plant plays, the more a plant understands how to create the notes and the notes that they're creating and therefore can start to harmonize with other humans and plant musicians. Okay. So that, that track was something that at the beginning of the COVID, Area when we went into lockdown, I wanted to create because I run a group on Facebook called "The Effects of Plant Music on Human Health and Interspecies Art," and I wanted to create a track similar to the virtual choirs that we see on YouTube and stuff right. that allowed us to bring together musicians from around the world. So um, there are the musicians that are in that track are in New Zealand, India, uh, Finland, the United States, Italy. So we have musicians from many okay. different countries that are working together, and we recorded the tracks individually and then had them mixed down to make that. So that was kind of my introduction to the understanding that plants have a, an awareness and that that plants are sentient, and that sort of awakened me from what's called plant blindness, which is right. we have plants all around us, but we don't, we don't really see them anymore. We just think of them as objects. Right. So from there, I started to take this deep dive down the rabbit hole of plant intelligence.
0: Right. And so, if anybody's interested, they can search your name on SoundCloud. Right. To Gorilla right. Gardenia, and exactly. they'll find a whole lot more plant music and and that sort of thing. So
1: absolutely, if you're
0: interested, that's where you can hear more of that. So then, then so you have this moment where suddenly plants are singing to you, which. Mm-hmm. Who to thunk? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and and then you talk about synchronicity r- at around this same time too. You hear about uh, this degree program called Futuro Vegetale, right? Right. So, yes. So talk about. So that.
1: basically, um, I spent I spent most of 2013 and 2014, like in immersed in this world of, oh my God, plants are sentient. And actually, I first started to go down also the the path. So one was to research everything that had to do with plant intelligence. And then, like you said earlier, bio-inspired design. So I started to take courses in biomimicry, which is the ability for us to look at nature's and the functions and the patterns of nature and apply them to the creation of new social structures or to product design. Um, So if you think about the easiest example is Velcro, Velcro Mm -hmm. actually is was inspired by the seeds of a burr plant where the seeds have little hooks at the end so that as animals like dogs or other kinds of wild animals walk by the burr, the seeds get caught on the fur and then eventually they fall off somewhere else. And that's the way the seed travels. So Velcro mimics those little pieces. So this is, um, so biomimicry was my first sort of like, okay, if I look at plants as a model or as a mentor, what could, what, what could I learn? And I start going down that path and I start um, applying that through projects and working on um, working with people individually to help them mm-hmm. use these. And then they announced one of my, um, they announced that The University of Florence, which is where one of the professors that is kind of most prominent around the idea of plant neurobiology and plant intelligence, along with another professor who's in the School of Architecture and is a sociologist in the built environment. So sociology of how do we really think about the way we build things? in order Is to that nudge Stefano
0: you. Mancuso, right?
1: So Mancuso and another one, Leonardo Chiesi, these are the okay. two professors, get together and they create a program, this program called Futuro Vegetale, which basically means vegetal future and the idea of plants, social innovation, and design. How do we design a new world, and how do we look at new social, no, new social structures, new way of, of being uh, from a community perspective, it, using plants as our inspiration. Yeah, and, and it was it just happened to be I was already in Italy at the time. It happens to be only three hours away from me in Florence, so I spent a year in Florence to get my master's.
0: Okay, talk about that. You know what what insights did you get out of that in terms of how plants communicate, how they network? How they talk to each other.
1: Yeah, here that there opens an entire world. So plants, you know, when we think about it, plants make up 85% of the biomass of the planet. Right. So the of of our 85%. Planet, 85%. Can you take a guess as to how much humans and animals and humans together make up? Three, five? Zero point
0: three. Zero point three.
1: Zero, so we're a minority.
0: Three.
1: We are a massive minority. <laughs> Not only that, that is all animals That's, and right. all humans. Right. All of that. The rest wow. of it is made up okay. of mainly, um, uh, mainly bacteria, as well as insects. The biggest, the second biggest part after plants is actually insects. And so, we as humans have built a world based on what we think is our best way of being. Like, but the truth is that nature has you know 3.8 billion years of experience and plants have 470 million years on land so mm-hmm. i think they've got a little bit of research and development above us right so we can look at for example how do they create environments where there is no such thing as waste because from when you look at nature Everything is in a circular way. So, what what waste is being produced by one actually becomes the nourishment and the resource of another. And so, when we start to understand how that works, we can look at whether it be product design or whether it be social design and try to understand the patterns and the functions and put that into play. So, if you look at something as simple as how a plant grows in a specific environment, Mm -hmm. We start to learn things like resilience because plants can't run away, right? We as humans, if we don't like the temperature, we just get up and go somewhere else or we modify our environment in an extreme way. Plants have to adapt.
0: Right. Similar to an article that you shared on your Facebook recently um, about the forest and when when a tree dies Mm -hmm. and it falls down, suddenly there's this patch of sunlight coming to the forest floor
1: exactly right
0: and yeah. so plants yeah, and understand the, how to capitalize on that
1: and that's exactly it so they have more senses than we do like they have all the same five senses we do they have about another 15 of, uh, uh, on top of that that article was written by dana baumeister who is the one of the co-founders of biomimicry 3.8 And in that, she explains really carefully, like really detailed how we can learn from the idea.
0: Plants have 20 senses.
1: They have at least 20 senses that we know. That we know. Wow. Yeah. Because again, I am in my room and I feel something different relating to the temperature. I just go off and change the air conditioning. Plants have to understand my new details so that they can modify their their bodies in order to adapt to what's happening. And this is one, one of the things that we as humans haven't done very well. We've modified the world around us, around us in a very small, narrow space where plants instead look at the broader picture and make, adapt some of the pieces around them. But more importantly, they adapt because they know that the environment and the ecosystem is much wider. So they look and see, okay, if I make this change, how does that affect somebody else? How does it affect the plant next to me? How does that affect the microbes in the soil? How does this affect the mycelium networks that I use to transport my goods and my resources to other plants mm-hmm. and to get nourishment back? How do I how does it change the way I apply to sunlight, but more importantly, other beings around me and what are the relationships between? Me? So plants mm-hmm. have all these different mechanisms that they keep in in mind or some would say they don't have minds, but I'm not, I'm going to argue that point, but they would have, you know, they keep all of this so that they can create again, harmony and balance. Because if something goes out of whack, then what happens is that the entire ecosystem suffers and then nobody grows. And that's something that we as humans have forgotten. We think about ourselves, but we don't look at it in a longer timeline and we don't realize that we're just pretty much hurting ourselves because we've created an environment where we're no longer healthy. And this is where we're suffering right now. Today, we we see high levels of disease, not just the pandemic, but even other types of disease. We see high levels of disturbance that we're not able to adapt from because we keep thinking we can modify the environment to suit my individual needs instead of looking at it in a greater context.
0: Right. So, so, Yeah. I mean, we're in a world with pandemic, with riots, with violence, with climate change, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, uh, natural disasters, all that sort of thing. And the human mind wants to control, right? Exactly. And so in stressful, anxious, scary days, what can plants show us on how to deal with and manage that stress?
1: Well, one thing you stated, you stated really clearly, right? The human mind tries to control. The human action is control, right? But control just creates more tension Mm -hmm. because you pull and you, the world around you keeps changing. You try to control it, and what ends up happening is you just create, you go out of harmony with what's happening, and therefore you're you're still you're holding on to that tension in between. Right. Where the plant world. Would more start to look at, okay, how do I adapt? And it would test. And that's the other thing to give ourselves permission to fail mm-hmm. because in testing, I, I will have success also. So I need to give that self my, that space to test things out. But I also need to do that in relationship to others. So, transdisciplinary teams, you know, teams that have lots of different types of expertise where everybody is coming in. And sharing those resources leads to an overall growth of the entire team. And we see this again and again in nature. You monofields, like we already know, monocrops create problems for bees. They create problems in the environment in general Mm -hmm. because the entire way our natural system was um, designed was to have lots of species interacting one with another. And as humans, it's the exact same. So, for example,
0: rows of corn. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The way it was originally happening was corn was just growing out in a field wild with everything else. Exactly. Right.
1: And it was up to, you know, the hunters and the gatherers who went around and gathered this up and they knew that if they went to one area, they had a balanced diet because there was all these different species. And so in a smaller area, you were able to get greater nutrition. Today we have rows and rows of corn And if I move to that area, all I can do is eat corn, and that's not healthy for my body. So again, the plants are trying to show us that not only is it better for them, because again, like for nature in general, when you have this diversity, you have Mm -hmm. more insects, you have healthier soil, you have more continuation of the species, you have more growth, you have all these different aspects. But it's also better for us because we are nature. So our own bodies are healthier because we're eating from a wider range of food as opposed to a monoculture that doesn't replenish the soil, there is no regeneration, there isn't any other interaction with animals and with insects, and we're not even healthy. Right. Like we don't even get a real benefit out of it.
0: Right. Right. You can't grow potato chips. <laughs>
1: no, exactly. <laughs>
0: so you know we're we are an animals point zero three percent right of What's out there, but it, right. we the the other part of that is we are all organic, we are all a hundred percent organic, and so that's where you know being able to maybe think about how plants survive and thrive through change and looking at that learning from it we're we're kind of made up of the same matter just in a different package
1: absolutely. No, I was going to say, and so we have, we have many similar types of characteristics that we can rely on and we can look at. That's why, for example, I teach a seven week online course um, called reconnect with the plant kingdom. That's all about going week by week to really understand the parts of intersection and the places where plants can be very detailed mentors and models for us. How does you know, how do we get rid of some of our core fears when we understand that we are nature and we start to approach the world as a more natural part of nature as opposed to as opposed to being outside of it always? Because we can either we can be a part of nature. In other words, immersed in it. We can be a participant in nature, which means right. I go and I do things in nature or I could be an observer. And these are all important positions because we have the ability to be all three, but we need to be all three because when we're not, when we don't recognize our own nature, we tend to go and out of harmony and we tend to go against nature. And the truth is that, again, because we are only 0.3, we can only push that tension and control so far before nature itself says, look, man, like... I'm just going to have to bulldoze you right now because you're going against all of the rest of everything that's around you.
0: Right. And so the lesson to tie this back together, I guess the lesson is that what we learn from plants is that human control thing. Plants don't try to control plants learn, they look at change, they feel it and they evolve and change and let go and so part of what causes us stress and anxiety is un not knowing or not being mm-hmm. able to control things right and mm-hmm. so if we if we look at what plants are doing and take that cue from them that says you know what this is situation has changed in our world and so i need to look at how i can just change with it
1: right And Not only do they not only do they provide that as a a model, right, as we had said, they they provide that as a model. They say they're going to if you when you get into the actual study of plant intelligence, when you start looking at the way plants behave on a more detailed perspective, you literally will see models that you can mimic. That's why the whole biomimicry world exists. Like You see patterns of behaviors that you can say, oh, if I act, if I use those principles. Mm -hmm. then I can do exactly what you said. But above that, when you go down the other side of the research, which is called basically the biophilic research, which is going into biophilia is a a, a phrase that's been coined. Mainly it's been attributed to E.O. Wilson, who talked about the innate love of life, the innate connection we have to nature. And when you go down and you look at that research, not only do plants provide the models, but plants also provide the, how do I say, the chemical reactions that they uh, elicit chemical reactions in humans Mm -hmm. that allow you to experience that. So when you spend time in nature, you naturally, your body reacts in many different ways. One, just 20 minutes in nature is able to lower your cortisol levels. So it lowers your stress and it allows you to see the world differently to experience the world without that level of stress, continue to spend time there. And there are aerosols that come from the trees that spark chemical reactions inside of us and enhance our immune system. They enhance our cognitive functions they lower the rates of depression, they lower our 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 feelings of aloneness, they inspire awe and wonder. And all of these things lead to the fact that I don't need to control because I actually feel good with what's happening. And now I have more clarity of the situation. And I can find solutions that flow with what's happening. So not only do they provide the models, they're saying, look, we believe in these models so much that we want to give you the tools so that you can take a step back and see the models and follow these models. So they both act as a mentor and like they they take care of you as well as the model. And that's the amazing part that The more you start to learn and you look at the world through this nature-inspired lens, the easier it becomes for you to find those types of solutions because the plants themselves give you the chemicals and the reaction to your body necessary for you to be in that state.
0: Right. So you know, that's where we're kind of coming to in our conversation is, yeah, we can go out and take a walk in a nature trail. Or if you live in an urban area, just go out into a park, you know, where there's lots of trees and maybe a pond or something like that. Um, Or even just a neighborhood that's got a lot of trees and yards and things like that. But what are some of the tips that that you can share with us to help people just get out there. Then while they're out there to start um, dialing into it, right? Right. Because there's a lot of distractions and a lot of folks have a hard time, you know, they can go for the nature walk, but the whole time they're out there, they're thinking about who am I going to vote for? Then there's this protest over here and then so-and-so is sick. And, you know, how do you, what are your tips and advice on how to kind of clear your head and get out there and be able to, hear the music that's around us that can fix us uh
1: so there's a few simple tricks and that's that's the best part about this so one part of it is that time limit if you allow yourself like count don't count the time it takes you to get to the park if you live in a city but once you enter the park and you're literally underneath that canopy of trees and if you can be under a canopy of trees when you're really really stressed out even better giving yourself at least that 20 minutes to be in there is the first step. Super simple thing, just book yourself 20 minutes. It's not really that much time necessary. Because that's one of the trigger points that has been studied to know, so that's one. A second one is also work with a view if possible. If you have an opportunity to be in your home office or if you have an opportunity to, um, in the place where you work or whatever, to have a view of nature, just that view, just looking and twisting your head to look out the window mm-hmm. or staring at a plant that you have, for again, just allowing yourself to have that reconnection, will already trigger a different perspective. So we know that people that have a view um, of even just a single tree in a parking lot, but that you actually const- like you actually look at that tree. Right. We know that they heal faster and we know that already that starts to work on those cognitive functions. So those are two very simple ways. If you do have an opportunity to go out or connect, again, bringing that intention into it, which means, okay, let's assume that I don't even have the time to go out to a park. I'm just gonna go into my backyard or my front yard or whatever. Sit with a plant for that 20 minutes. Look at the plant. Um, touch, if you wanna to lightly touch the plant. smell the plant. Like. Just give yourself those 20 minutes to connect without an even intention. Like I could go into lots of other types of techniques that have in order to get big communications, but just to feel the benefit is to take those that time and just allow yourself to be in the presence of the plant. If your mind wanders into, like you said, the political race or the pandemic or what other stuff. Just like a, like a simple kind of meditation technique, just to say, okay, I acknowledge that and then just move it off to the side. But really, to be honest, when you start looking at a plant and you use your eyesight, which is the number one um, sort of sense that we as humans, you're going to start to see so many intricacies that are different than what you expect. Like when you start looking at the form of a leaf and the little veins that go mm-hmm. through it and how the color changes based on the light and all these aspects I guarantee that 20 minutes will go by in a heartbeat because you're going to be so caught up in things you've never seen before. Like, Oh, well, where, where, where does that stem go? And Ooh, why is that root coming out? And where did, where did this come from? And what does that bark feel like if you're out in a tree and that is already going to slow down your body, you know, and it's going to increase your curiosity and from that state of increased curiosity is where the solutions to your problems are going to come from.
0: Yeah, uh, on a walk recently. I walk every day. I do what you're saying, <laughs> you know. And I walked awesome. past. I walked past a a yard. It was mowed except for this clump of there was a some kind of weed or plant growing there. But as I got close, that I thought that was kind of weird. But as I got closer to it and I looked at it, it was covered in yellow and black caterpillars. I don't know if these were monarch caterpillars or what kind of caterpillars, but I was like, "Wow, look at that! That's so cool!" Because I mean, literally, it was maybe ten inches around this little thing. But whoever was mowing the yard was like, "I can't hit that," right? You know. And so I could have stood there and watched that for an hour and just exactly look at these things. Get one of those caterpillars on my finger, but you know. Um, so communing with these plants can do so much for our health, especially in these times, busy times. The other thing I tell people is it with regards to time and appointments and things like that, you know, um, if, if you're 10 minutes late for a call or whatever, nobody's going to (laughs) die. You know, don't, don't give yourself a stroke trying to get there. People will understand. And, so smell the flowers, right? So, Tig, one of the classes that you teach is the mini voyage.
1: Oh, uh, that's one of my that's one of my freebies. That's something anybody can participate. Okay,
0: in. and so I, I, in the episode notes, I've got a link to that class if Great. people are interested in it. Anyway, exactly. the link is in the episode notes. Tell us about that free course for people that you know right. if you want some extra help and how to dial in.
1: Yeah. So this comes from. The question that you asked me earlier like how do i connect and it includes three completely different types very simple exercises that you can use to connect with plants mm-hmm. so one of them is uh, kind of similar to just that observational type of thing and journaling which we've seen a lot but the other two use arts because again that's my specialty i love the arts so one of them uses plant music and it takes you on a journey with a plant using plant music And the other one uses art, like literally drawing as part of it. And the reason for is because, again, when we kind of focus just on one technique, we can get caught up and get a little bit lost in the technique. So it's important for us to explore the various ways to connect and find the different voices that work for us. So that's a Mm -hmm. three-day mini voyage, and you get it basically via email, and you'll get the the description or the information that you need for that exercise and it's three different ways to really connect in with plants.
0: Right. And so you, no matter where you are on the globe, you can participate in yep. this course.
1: Yep, it's designed exactly for that. It's designed for anywhere you are, it you know, working with any kind of plant you have around you and again using the music as another example in another way so that whether you're in an apartment or in a house or near a nature preserve or wherever you can possibly be that you have the access to be able to connect with the plant world.
0: Right, and then you also work with um, uh, entrepreneurs and business
1: owners. Yeah, so I do nature inspired leadership mentorship. So I work with entrepreneurs who want to really increase and, and achieve professional and um, personal success. So overcome some of their kind of blocks, some of the things that are holding them back in their business, restructure their business using a nature inspired approach. So here we look specifically to plants as what would a plant do in this situation? How Mm -hmm. can we use plants as mentors and as models for designing a personal and a professional life that's much more fulfilling because you're in harmony. Again, as we had talked earlier, you're in harmony with the rhythms of nature. You're in harmony with the things that you want to create. And more than anything, you're using optimized solutions because again, nature has been doing this for 470 million years. So when you design your business structure and more importantly, your communication. So we talk about things like antenna matches, which is the way that plants contact insects and how could you use that model of how plants and insects unite in order for pollination, in order for them to be, really propagating themselves, which is mm-hmm. what, what plants do. They they want to entice the insect so that they can move on to new things. And so that's a great model to use in your communication strategy to understand who your client is and how you can best connect to your client and how your client can do your, your growth for you. In other words, your client is the one that helps you continue to propagate out into other ways. So these are some of the models that we use on a one-on-one basis. Um, to really go dive deep into your business. As I said earlier, many entrepreneurs today are using a combination of their skill sets. And so a course is great to learn new things, but that one-on-one support allows you to really understand your specific set of characteristics, how they come together. And we oftentimes take into consideration the seasons, the cycles, all the natural elements so that you build a business in harmony with the planet as well as with your own true nature. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So any other words of wisdom for folks as we kind of wrap things up here in terms of tapping into nature and using that to kind of soothe your soul?
1: I would say that the biggest thing is to remember um, one of the things that has been studied a lot is that for adults, oftentimes nature is seen as far out there. You know, nature is going to the beach or going to a forest or going to the mountains. And it requires a lot of effort because we see a division between who I am as an individual human and what quote unquote nature is. But mm-hmm. the truth is that nature is the dandelion that's growing through the sidewalk crack you know, the purslane that's growing on the edge of the curb, like all of this is nature, as well as the houseplants, as well as your dog and cat. I mean, all of this is nature. And so sometimes my best advice to people is don't go looking for the big bang, because the biggest bang actually comes in the small sizes around you. Just sitting with Mm -hmm. grass and feeling the grass under your feet and putting your hands on the grass and looking at the different blades of grass and the ecosystem because very rarely do you see one type of grass it has to be really artificial lawn for that oftentimes grass is mixed in with all kinds of different types of grasses and herbs and right. like all these different little plants and there you can see an entire ecosystem working together to get success so just staring like you just said the the small part of the caterpillars you could have stared you could have stared there for an hour And that was lowering your stress, including your, and you didn't have to go very far. You were just walking in your own neighborhood. Right. So focus sometimes on the small things. Allow yourself to be caught up in the wonder, like when you were a kid. And that is going to give you a huge response. And it's going to completely change your attitude and the way that you approach your other work in life.
0: Okay. Well, Tigrilla, I am fascinated by the insights you shared um, and continue to share. Anybody who wants to learn more about you can go to your website at tigrillagardenia.com. The class, The free class you mentioned is going to be in the episode notes. And, um, you know, maybe we'll get an opportunity to talk about this more in more depth or something else down the road. I would love to be able to do that and have just thoroughly enjoyed your company and getting to know you. I feel like at this point, like I said at the beginning, you're like (laughs) an old family friend at this point. Exactly. Um, So thank you so much for your time and, and doing a take two on this. And um, thanks for listening. And this is Drew Zagorski. You don't say peace. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to tell, shoot me an email to info at And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at YDS Stories. Thanks again, and see you on the next episode.